The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Jesus is known as a miracle worker, but did you ever hear that some of those were specifically considered what are called messianic miracles? In fact, four miracles accomplished by Jesus are called messianic miracles because no matter how much the rabbis might object, these biblical accounts identify Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. And it was the Jewish rabbis themselves who categorized Bible miracles into two classifications of so-called ordinary miracles and those very special messianic miracles. We're going to find this topic absolutely fascinating. Hello, I'm Christine Dorig, encouraging you to meditate in the Word of God daily and bring your faith up to a level to do exploits for God. Daniel 11.32 says that the people who know God will be strong, and therefore, because we know God and He makes us strong, the verse also says we'll accomplish His works, His exploits. In fact, Jesus said we would do even greater works than he accomplished because he was going to the Father to send us the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And he promised to work alongside of us in our ventures for him to confirm the gospel with signs following. For years, I've been fascinated by the gifts of the Spirit, and I even wrote a book about miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I believe every minister of the Lord, especially those of us who dare to pray for the sick, wants to learn as much as we can about God's miracle working power. So I've been researching the rabbinic teaching and expectation of the Jewish rabbis during the period of Jesus. Apparently, certain miracles would be reserved only for the Messiah to perform. And by these miracles, he could be recognized and identified. In other words, in addition to his lineage from King David, certain miracles would become the credentials of the Messiah. Prior to the birth of Jesus, apparently the ancient rabbis separated miracles into two categories. In the first category, or ordinary miracles, if miracles could ever be considered ordinary, but these include healings, exorcisms, and miracles that anybody empowered by the Holy Spirit could accomplish. But the second category of miracles, messianic miracles, would be acts of power that only the Messiah himself could perform. The first of four so-called messianic miracles would be the healing of a Jewish leper. In the Bible, Miriam, the sister of Moses was healed of leprosy. And later, a Syrian Gentile, General Naaman, was also healed of leprosy under the ministry of the prophet Elisha. But there was never any other case of a Jewish leper being healed until the advent of Jesus' ministry. There was certainly no medical cure for the dreaded disease. But in the Torah, in the book of Leviticus, 
God made provision with many detailed instructions concerning the cleansing of leprosy. Leviticus chapters 13 and 14 certainly indicated that God expected leprosy at some point to be healed. But until Jesus' ministry, the Levitical priesthood had never been confronted with the opportunity to follow the very detailed instructions written down in Leviticus concerning the ceremonies for both the cleansing and anointing of a former leper. And that's why the rabbis taught that only the Messiah would be able to heal a leper. As Jesus himself pointed out in Luke chapter 4 at the beginning of his public ministry, besides Naaman, the Syrian who was healed of leprosy through Elisha's ministry, no Israelite had been healed of leprosy. Leprosy was a symbol of sin which the Messiah alone could cleanse. So this was a miracle reserved for the Messiah. And Jesus was an extraordinary miracle worker in a unique class above any prophet who has ever appeared on the scene. In Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses prophesied that a prophet like himself would arise in Israel and that the people should listen to the prophet resembling Moses. Under the leadership of Moses, the Hebrews were fed supernaturally with manna, bread from heaven. Jesus, like Moses, supernaturally fed thousands by multiplying bread and fish. Moses parted the waters. Jesus walked on water, and so forth. There are scores of many specific miracles of Jesus recorded in this Bible, although the Apostle John testified that there were many other things that Jesus did, which, if they were all written down, he said, I suppose that even the world itself couldn't contain all the books that would be written. However, amongst the abundance of Jesus' miracles, there were four types of miracles that would help the Jewish people to recognize the Messiah when he came. As I've already mentioned, the first Messianic miracle was the healing of a leper. And in Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 40, is recorded Jesus healing a man with leprosy. So to set the stage, Mark records this attention-grabbing messianic miracle in the very first chapter of his gospel. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, saying, If you're willing, you can make me clean. The record says Jesus was warm with indignation against the disease and, I believe, against the question of whether or not he was even willing in the first place. So Jesus reached out his hand and he actually touched the leper. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy disappeared and the man was cleansed. What a great messianic miracle. But I want you to notice also that Jesus sent the man away with a strong warning. Jesus said, see that you don't tell this to anyone. But he commanded the man to go straight away to show himself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded in the book of Leviticus. This would constitute a great testimony to the priesthood. Naturally, it was important for the former leper to verify to the religious authorities this great miracle. It was a major witness to the priesthood that the Messiah had finally arrived and his name 
was Jesus, Yeshua in Hebrew. Now the second messianic miracle, according to the rabbis, would be the healing and casting out of a deaf and mute demon. Well-known Bible scholars such as Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum explain that the Pharisees recognized the healing of a mute person as a messianic miracle. In the time of Jesus, exorcisms were performed by various rabbis, and their method was to force the evil spirit to reveal its name. And by the way, Jesus used the same method in Mark 5, 9 with the demoniac, whose name was revealed to be Legion. However, in the case of a mute person, the rabbis believed an exorcism couldn't take place with ordinary rabbis because there was no verbal form of communication. That's why, according to the methods of the rabbis, they believed that only the Messiah, as Son of God, would have the power to cast out a mute spirit. Now, in Matthew 12, verse 22, they brought Jesus, a demon-possessed man, who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him. The man could both talk and see. The people reacted with astonishment. They asked, could this be the son of David? You see, son of David was a messianic title, and of course Jesus was descended from King David. But when the Pharisees heard about this messianic miracle, their assessment was tragic. They concluded that this fellow drives out demons by the prince of demons. On the one hand, they couldn't deny the miracle, but unfortunately they refused to give God the glory or to recognize the Messiah the first time he came. When Jesus had introduced himself in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth, he had read a passage from Isaiah chapter 61, which says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind. So the third messianic miracle, according to the rabbis, would be the healing of a man born blind. And Jesus certainly accomplished this miracle, as recorded in John chapter 9. The entire chapter is devoted to this messianic miracle, and the subsequent investigation led by the Pharisees. The former blind man admirably defended Jesus, saying nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Well, no doubt the rabbis determined the categories of messianic miracles based on passages in the book of Isaiah. For example, Isaiah 35 and verse 4 to 6 prophesied, Behold, God will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb will sing. This passage in Isaiah prophesied that deaf mutes would have their hearing and speech restored and they'd be able to sing and give glory to God. This verse was literally fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus. 
Many who were lame had the use of their limbs restored, and they leapt for joy. And these same type of messianic miracles were also duplicated in the ministries of the apostles. And even today, in our meetings in India and elsewhere, we've seen miracles of blind eyes open and the lame leaping and walking again. Hallelujah! This is because Jesus taught his disciples to expect all sorts of miracles. Miracles are part of the Lord's great commission to preach the gospel. And recognizing these messianic miracles gives us a clearer understanding of certain statements in the New Testament. For example, when John the Baptist was being persecuted and put in prison, he experienced second thoughts about Jesus being the Messiah. And so John sent word to Jesus and asked, are you the coming one, or should we look for another? And what was Jesus' response? Jesus cataloged his miracles as his credentials. He said, Go tell John, the blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who's not offended because of me. I often preach on Matthew chapter 15 and verses 30 to 31. It's a very important passage that authenticates the ministry of Jesus. It records that great multitudes came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others. And they laid all these people down at the feet of Jesus, and he healed them. So that the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And so they glorified the God of Israel. The Gospel of Matthew also recorded the healing of two blind men who knew that the Messiah, the son of David, would be able to heal their blindness, something no other prophet had ever done. The Gospels tell us that two blind men were sitting by the road when they heard that Jesus was passing by. And so they cried out, Have mercy on us, O son of David. The multitude tried to tell him to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stopped and called them, and he said, What do you want me to do for you? Well, it was pretty obvious what they needed, but Jesus wanted them to put a demand upon their faith. And so they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Now, don't forget, keep in perspective that the people like the two blind men had been taught to expect supernatural miracles to be performed by the Messiah. The rabbis and Pharisees had taught the people that the coming Messiah would have to fulfill certain requirements to be accepted as the Messiah. The Messiah was expected to do specific things like no human could do, like healing blind eyes. Yet, tragically, after Jesus fulfilled these messianic miracles, the religious authorities rejected him. 
the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did. And they heard the children crying out in the temple and singing, Hosanna to the son of David. But what was the response of the religious leaders? The same thing happens even today when miracle workers appear in the churches. The religious leaders were displeased and filled with indignation. Tragically, they were jealous because they wanted to maintain the status quo and their own power over the people. They were envious when they saw the people acclaiming Jesus. And in his love and mercy, Jesus tried to reason with them. He said in John chapter 10 and verses 37 to 38, If I don't do the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Well, every Messianic candidate was checked out and investigated by the religious elders. That's why they first went into the desert to hear John the Baptist preach. Because in the beginning, people were saying that perhaps John the Baptist was the prophet predicted by Moses. But John wasn't a miracle worker. Well, what was the fourth and final type of Messianic miracle? As I noted, the rabbis taught that only the Messiah could heal a leper. Only the Messiah could cast out a mute spirit and heal a man born blind. But there was also a fourth Messianic miracle. The rabbis also taught that only the Messiah could raise a man from the dead after four days. My research answered a lot of questions I didn't even know I had. So now let's go to Bethany and to John chapter 11. Yeshua had waited and he didn't visit the tomb of his dear friend Lazarus until four days had passed from his death. Jesus asked for the stone to be removed from the tomb, but Martha, the sister of the deceased, objected. She said, Lord, by this time there'll be a stench because he's been dead for four days. But we know the story. In a loud voice, Jesus called Lazarus by name, and Lazarus was raised from the dead. Tragically, instead of believing in Jesus and embracing this great messianic miracle, the religious authorities were insanely jealous, and they plotted to take his life. Why? The answer is found in John chapter 12 and verses 37 to 38. It says, But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him, because this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? However, I'm happy to report that even though the chief priests and most of the religious authorities of his day rejected Jesus, nevertheless, many leaders also believed in him. In John chapter 3, we have the testimony of a teacher in Israel named Rabbi Nicodemus. This man Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and made a very important confession. Rabbi Nicodemus said, We know that you've come from God as a teacher because no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Amen. 
Well, what can we learn from the awesome messianic miracles of Jesus? We can learn that whenever Jesus performed the messianic miracle, he was making a direct claim to be the Messiah, and the people knew it. The messianic miracles forced the people to believe in him and to acclaim him, and the religious authorities were forced to investigate and to decide for or against him. The miracles on the one hand triggered a great popular response, but the messianic miracles also caused the hard hearts of many religious leaders to be revealed. They stumbled and fell over Jesus. Today I want to encourage you not to miss or disregard the awesome messianic miracles of Jesus. The New Testament declares that many other signs were performed by Jesus in the presence of his disciples. Those signs and miracles weren't recorded in this book, but these messianic miracles have been recorded and they were done on purpose so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The New Testament declares that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's alive, and the same miracles he performed in the past, he will perform today if we will only believe in his mighty power and put a demand on our faith. And so I want to echo the summation of the Apostle Peter in his sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, 22. He said, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, signs, and wonders, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. And Jesus said, the works that I do in my Father's name these works testify about me. Jesus explained that healing the sick, dispossessing devils, cleansing lepers, giving sight to the blind, causing the deaf to hear, the mute to speak, the lame to walk, even raising the dead to life, these all were messianic miracles that plainly demonstrated who he was and is. Because of these great messianic miracles, nobody needed to question or doubt in their minds who he was or be kept in suspense about him. Never in the history of mankind has there ever been a miracle worker to compare with Jesus. This is because he was more than a man. He was unique. He was God in the flesh. Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So I want you to understand a great truth that the New Testament church was a mystery hidden in God's plans. Due to the rejection of the Messiah on his first visitation to Israel, the nation of Israel was put on hold for 2,000 years, and the Jewish people were scattered to the nations until the time of the Lord's second coming, which will happen soon. And that's why the Jewish people are returning to their own land at this present time. The church, a mystical body containing believers from every nation, was born in the midst of signs, wonders, and ongoing messianic miracles. The dead were raised. Even the shadow of the apostle Peter healed the sick. 
The fear of God fell upon the people in Jerusalem when they witnessed the Acts of the Apostles. The New Testament church was a powerful church, unafraid of Satan, undaunted by persecution. The jails couldn't hold them, and they counted their lives to be spent in the service of God. And now we're in the last days, to be sure, and we're witnessing the prophesied apostasy, a great falling away, a lukewarm institutional church. And because sin abounds, the love of many is growing cold. These are perilous days, and there are many false prophets and so forth. But at the same time, we need to press into God to reap a great end-time harvest and to bring in a great ingathering of souls from every nation before the Messiah returns to save the regathered nation of Israel. Think about this. Do we have merely to endure the lukewarmness and unbelief? Or can we enjoy one last powerful outpouring of the Spirit as great as the days of the early church? Yes, I believe we have scriptural authority to believe for a great end-time revival. Thankfully, because we have the faith to believe for it, the spirit of revival is in all of our meetings. You see, we can lay hold of revival because God has promised end-time revival. The sure promise of God is found in the book of Joel. The prophet Joel foresaw a worldwide revival with the Holy Spirit poured out on all nations. Well, that revival began on the day of Pentecost and continues to this very hour until Jesus comes. But we have to believe and maintain a revival atmosphere. We have to go forth into the harvest fields and win as many souls as possible. In our ministry, we have a goal to preach the gospel in many nations, especially in Asia. And we must do this work quickly because the times of the Gentiles are coming to a close. Because of the rebirth of the nation of Israel, we're living on borrowed time concerning the times of the Gentiles. Soon the church age will be finished and Jesus will return to claim his glorious bride. Then he will be coming also to restore the Davidic kingdom to Israel and he'll set up his worldwide rule from the throne of his father David in Jerusalem. In the meantime, in our ministry, we have a million souls campaign. We're believing God to win at least a million souls to the Lord in the time that we have remaining to preach to the nations before the second coming. And that's why we need your prayers to fulfill the mandate of Daniel 11.32. Those who know God will be strong and do exploits. We're looking for sold-out intercessors and watchmen on the walls. And if that's you, we'd like to stay in touch with you by the social media. And we also invite you to visit our website at exploits.tv where you can click online to receive a copy of our free color magazine electronically or by mail. And you can learn about our prayer convocations in the Holy Land. Also at our website, you can read the latest prophecy and prayer alerts from Israel. And so, until next time, you'll always find me contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darg. Shalom.
What an amazing panorama of Jerusalem, the city of the great king. To the east is the Mount of Olives, and beyond that, the Judean wilderness, the Dead Sea, and the nation of Jordan, where presently 600,000 Syrian refugees have escaped. It's hard to imagine that right beyond this horizon, there is a holocaust going on amongst the Christian population of the Middle East. That's why the Jerusalem Channel has been created, to bring you a perspective of biblical events in the Middle East. When you visit our website every day, we have updates on news, prophecy, and what's happening and how it all tells us that Jesus is coming soon to establish His rule in this city. We want to invite you to become a supporter of the Jerusalem Channel. If you give in the United States, please know that your gift is tax deductible. And in the United Kingdom, we can claim gift aid on your donation. And so we invite you to get behind the Jerusalem Channel. There's never been a day like right now. We have so many opportunities to share the gospel in the remaining times of the Gentiles. Israel is rising again and God is visiting this nation. So stay in touch at exploits.tv. I'm Christine Doric. Shalom.